You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Fun morning. I woke up and started looking over my notes on my phone and realized, oh, I usually teach off the iPad. I wonder where that is. And it's top shelf of the closet because Duncan's over six, well, he's six foot tall. So he can reach the closet, the top shelf. And so I, uh, he's still in bed. I'm trying to get it down, tip things over, grab the iPad, bam, 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 all the stuff falls. He comes out like, what's happening? So he got it all set up for me. It was dead. It was outdated. It was not going to load anything. So you guys can thank Duncan that I have notes that I can read. All right, let's, uh, you guys want to start with a joke or something funny? I do too. Let's do that. Okay, I got a couple for you. Ready? Okay, I've been giggling about this for a week. Okay, writing in emails in 2022 is like, hi, X, how's the burnout going? I hope less Bernie. Unfortunately, I also have burnout, so I can't do the thing I said I'd do. I realize this will make your burnout worse, and I'm sorry about that. Hoping for less burnout for you soon. Warmly, why? Some of you might not get that. I don't know. Dung and I have been giggling for a week, like middle management. Okay, here's another one. Feeling sad today. Can everyone please send cute pictures of their credit card, front and back? (laughs) That's a good tithe message. Okay, one more. Ready? My three-year-old kept saying she wants a spirit guest and needs a spirit guest and has a spirit guest. And like four exorcisms later, I realized she was just talking about asparagus. Right? Kids are the best. Awesome. You guys okay? <laughs> like this lady's weirder than we ever, ever thought. Yes, it's true. Oh, you have no idea. Okay, no. All right. Um, well, I want to talk today. Let's see if I can figure out. I forgot how to do this, you guys. Maybe this is just too. I should have done this before. Uh, have you ever felt stuck? Anybody ever felt stuck in life? Uh, maybe trapped by a thought. It feels really, really real, um, but you know it's not. It, it feels so hard. It feels so overwhelming or maybe held by grief that you just can't shake. It's a grief. There's a heaviness, um, maybe a fear in your life, a certain fear that keeps you from moving forward, taking that next step. Or, I mean, there's a lot of things that keep us stuck, right? Maybe it's an attitude or a habit, um, a failure, pain from your past, a loss, Things and, and, and Larry, it's so often something that happened so long ago that you don't even realize how it's affecting you today um, and how it's holding you back. And I, I, I approach this subject today, and I need you to know at the beginning, I, I don't know why I tend towards these topics, but I don't want this to ever feel or be like a self-help talk without power. Um, I need you to know that Jesus is powerful and Jesus is with you and, and, and as we talk through all of this, and hopefully that comes out, but I need you to know like my heart is not, here's another self-help book, here's another self-help talk, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get over it. That is not the heart here. Um, but yeah, so have you ever felt stuck? I know I have. So let's talk about that today. Um, yeah, let's talk about that today. God talked to me. He he. This started with two things. There's a verse that has bothered me for a long, long time. So we're going to talk about that. You guys want to hear what that is? 
what bothers Annie? And then as I'm trying to sort that out, as I'm just seeking God, he told me something. He said, don't run from, run to. Don't run from, run to. So what are the things we run from? Okay, we can run from pain and fear and failure and frustration and disconnect, discontent and anger and grief. We can run from those things. Those are things we don't want in our life. Those are things that are going to hold us back and keep us from the fullness of God. But when we're only running from something, it causes more problems and pain, right? It, because what happens is you try to self-medicate, you're not running to a vision. You're not running to a future. You're not running to God's faithfulness and promises. You're running from, we're trying to cover up, we're trying to mask, and we're trying to look for ways to meet, to heal legitimate pain or to, to meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways because we're, that's what happens when we do it in our own strength. It's illegitimate. The needs are real. The healing you need is real. The experience, the, the, the encounter you need with Jesus, that's real. But when we try to meet and heal on our own terms, it becomes illegitimate. It's like slapping a Band-Aid on wounds that need the great surgeon. Okay, and when you slap a Band-Aid of addiction, okay, a Band-Aid of addiction can't fix the self-hatred you feel for yourself. A, a, another relationship isn't going to meet the needs that you didn't know that you need met. Uh, running to the next Christian healing or worship conference or whatever will not fix the core issue it's great. Go do the thing. Go to the conference. Get God's word. Come to church. Be in his presence. Be around people that are going to help you. But then deal with, okay, when I'm at the grocery store and that pain pops up again and those issues surface and I get angry or frustrated or fearful again, now what? Now what, Jesus? Are you here with me in this moment, not just in this moment? Okay, so why? Why why can't we run from? Because running from the things that got us stuck is not the same as going through our broken life with God into the future. Into the future. We've all been placed anchored. We've all gotten anchored in places that we were meant to pass through. Okay? A thought, an attitude, a habit, a, a pain, a painful situation. Okay? Don't get anchored in places you're only meant to pass through. So today I want to kind of give you a vision of what could be and how God walks through this with us and help us get our gaze fixed on Jesus, okay? The author and perfecter of your faith, the one who is, is here in this moment and he was in those painful moments with you and he is in the future as well, okay? This is a, um, I want to read you, if you want to turn to Jeremiah 29 with me. I know, right? I knew Lisa would like that. I did it just for her. <laughs> As I was meditating and preparing this, I heard Lisa's voice quoting it with me in the background because that's what she does when these verses are read. And I'm sorry, that is no, I'm sorry for calling you out. That was, I love it. That's her verse. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse one. Okay, so here's what we're looking at. We're looking at a portion of a letter that Jeremiah, a prophet in Jerusalem, writes to the leaders and people who have been exiled to Babylon. Okay, Israel wasn't following God. They weren't doing what he said to do. And they are now slaves in another country. And so the prophet Jeremiah is writing a letter, sharing God's heart to them. Okay, so verse 1 says, This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. 
build homes, and plan to stay. Have you ever felt stuck and God's word said, build homes and plan to stay? That doesn't sound like a good option. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Jump down to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. Can you just say right now, uh, God, I will find God. Say that. I will find God. Get to that in a minute. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. Okay, so again, Jeremiah delivering a message to the people of God in captivity in another country, slaves. They're taken away captive because they weren't trusting and obeying in God. Okay, have you ever been in a stuck situation because of your own choices and mistakes? Okay, because of your own bad attitude, because you didn't trust God in the area and you tried to figure it out on your own. Not even a sin issue, just darn it, stuck. Okay, they're stuck because they did not choose to follow God and listen to his word. But in the midst of that, God is still reaching. He is still calling. He is still in their future saying, I know it looks messed up, but I'm there and we're gonna get through it. And I want you right now, well, let me back. I need to slow down. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to say this first. The idea that somehow we can miss God is very frustrating to me. And I don't think it's accurate. Have you ever felt like or heard this idea that if I, if I take the wrong job or I choose the wrong partner in life or if I wear the wrong clothes to church today, I am going to miss God's best for my life? Or have you ever wondered like, you know, I'm going to miss my purpose in life if I, if I don't make all the right decisions, if I don't get all the little pieces right, okay? If I walk down the wrong side of the street today, I miss the opportunity to minister to somebody and God's going to send me to captivity. <laughs> I don't know, or just you're going to miss something, okay? Even if you fall into sin and make a mess out of your life, you're going to miss God? Maybe, but I, Jeremiah just said, God spoke to the people and said, if you seek me, you will find me. God is not so small that you can miss him and you are not so insignificant that he doesn't know where you are. He sees you, even in your mistakes, even in your messes, even in your uh, ignorance or unbelief. He has not missed you and you can't miss him. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Your mistakes, your failures, your decisions are not bigger than God's ability to work all things out for good, a hope, and a future. You cannot miss him. God told me years ago, I don't waste anything. I'm struggling with this. Am I in the wrong job? Am I missing your call in my life? Am I missing the future you have for me? And he says, I don't waste anything. You look for me, you'll find me, and I will take, Romans 8 says, I will take all the pieces. I will work all things together for good. I don't waste anything. 
So God is so good. He's always pursuing us. He's always making a way when everything seems like a dead end. Ever hit some dead ends? And he's here telling a people that's exiled because of their disobedience, because of their choices, to build, to grow, to multiply, to work, to create, to be a blessing because he has a better future for them. And there's a day coming when they need the strength and the focus and the community and the influence and the connection to step into it. So he says, look, you're, you're here now. But even in this place, it's not your end. And I need you to grow. I need you to multiply. I need you to be strengthened. I need you to set your gaze 70 years. And we're at, we're, I'm taking you home. But it's not just, we'll, we'll get there too. It's not just home. It's a better future even than they came from. I just, I just want to point this out real quick. In verse 14, Jeremiah 29, 14, he says, I will, how did he say it in the actual verse? I will end your captivity is how the translation I just read it. When I kind of looked that up in a word search, this, this phrasing intrigued me. It said, I will turn away your captivity. I will turn away your captivity. I think sometimes we get stuck and we feel like it's a place, it's a, um, something we've got to crawl our way out of. And I just love this phrasing that we're not, we're not just being rescued from captivity, rather captivity will retreat from you. Isn't that interesting? And you will be restored and refreshed. I shared last week during the tithe, this um, idea of multiplication, and I just shared with you kind of how had this, quote, breakthrough moment. But then I went home and I was like, that wasn't quite right. It was not a breakthrough moment that all of a sudden I was like, oh, everything's great. Here's what it was. It was a moment where I was struggling and frustrated and I'd been good. I felt like things were getting worse and worse and worse, but it was the swirl I was in and I was crying out to God, I didn't get a breakthrough in that moment. What he did was he just said, come here. He pulled back the curtains for a second. Whew. He said, look what I'm working on. It's, it's coming. Look at what I'm working on. Keep building, keep growing, keep multiplying. It wasn't a breakthrough. It was a revelation of what he is already doing on my behalf. I don't have it yet, but I've got it. Does that make sense? We act as if breakthrough happens instantly. I think God is working the entire time. And then all of a sudden we go, whoa, what just happened? He's like, yeah, I've been up all night while you slept. I've been working on this. You didn't have to worry about it. Okay. Have you ever taken a road trip with young kids? How many? Who gets an award today? <laughs> kids don't have a good concept of time. I don't have a good concept of time. But kids really don't have a good concept of time or distance. Um, so you get kids in a car going somewhere out of their normal routine. Somehow my kids, are, my kids are brilliant. Yours probably are too. They know at a young age, like, oh, if we go down this street, that's where this friend lives and that's the grocery store. Like they know this town. But once we leave town and we're on a trip that's, um, you know, an hour or more, they don't have a map to read. They don't have a concept of time. They don't know the kind of the mental checkpoints. You know, you've got them in your head. If you thought about right now driving to Montrose, <laughs> you've got a couple mental checkpoints, like road closed, one-way one way traffic, uh, maybe the dam is one, maybe Sapinir. You know, you've got all these, like, checkpoints where you're like, okay, 
Okay, quarter of the way. Okay, we're getting there, right? Kids don't have that, and they don't know those mental checkpoints to, to track the progress. So they don't know. There's no end. You're in the car. You're staring at the back of mom and dad's head. The, the, the walls of the canyon are zooming by, making them a little nauseous. You know, they don't, they just see road and cars and on the back of your heads. Here's the thing my kids figured out. Your kids figure this out. There's, there's some magic words they can say to get us to pull the car over relatively quickly. Well, with one of them, it's, I don't feel good, because she will literally projectile vomit everywhere. Smoothie plus car ride, bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> it was everywhere. The phrase, <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. I'm sorry, give me a moment. I'm <laughs> triggered right now. <laughs> Jordan learned at a young age, we were potty training. We put the potty seat in the trunk when we went out of town. Uh, she learned very quickly. If she said, I have to go potty, we'd stop that car. And we would, <laughs> guys, we would sit her in the trunk, this little two-year-old, car zooming by. But like the best view of Blue Mesa, because that's as far as we made it, was 10 miles out of town before, you know, I have to go potty. Don't tell her. Don't make fun of her. She was little. She didn't know. Now she would be embarrassed. These, they know, like, if I say these magic words, this bus will stop and I can get out of this car, orient myself, look at my parents' faces for a minute, and then ask, are we there yet again? Okay? <laughs> Sitting in the back of the trunk with that potty seat. It's different when you have the map. It's different when you're the one leading the trip. It's different when you're the one in the car. It's different when you're the one that knows where you're going. You know where the good coffee shops are. You know when the lunch break is. You know where the park is, where you can get out and walk. It's much harder to be in a vehicle, being driven somewhere you've never been, and you don't know where the end is. And you just got to trust mom and dad. Okay, you guys ready for the story that's bothered me for a long time? How many of you are familiar with a man named Tara? Yeah, that's cool. Let me introduce you. Okay, Genesis 11, why don't you head over there? It's one of those fun Tower of Babel, then some genealogy, then we're going to jump down to verse 31 to start. Genesis eleven thirty-one. All right. One day, Terah took his son, Abram, his daughter-in-law, Sarai, his son, Abraham's wife, and his grandson, Lot, his son, Haran's child, and moved away, to, moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died while still in Haran. Okay, so you might be familiar with Abram, a.k.a. Abraham, uh, who's you know, called the father of our faith. He followed God, is the father of the nation of Israel, all these things. He trusted and obeyed God and was called righteous. So Terah is Abraham's father. And then we see that Abram has a wife, Sarai, who later gets called Sarah, a nephew, Lot, and two brothers, Nahor and Haran. Okay, so let's back up a few verses to see what else we can find out about Terah, because this is important to the story. Jump back to verse 27, Genesis eleven twenty-seven. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. 
Milk and her sister Isaac were daughters of Nahor's brothers Haran, but Sarah was able to become pregnant and had no children. There's a lot of family stuff we could pick apart in there. Uh, <laughs> so I have some concerns and questions. But the thing that bothered me is in verse 31. Tara is headed for the land of Canaan, but stopped at Haran and settled there. He lived 205 years and died while still in Haran. Why did he stop? He was going to Canaan. How did he get stuck? What happened? And I don't, it, it, it is interesting to me that his son who died has the same name as the town, the place he got stuck in. It's so fascinating to me. Sometimes we get stuck in the pain. We get stuck in these moments in life and we settle. We were headed somewhere else. We were going with God somewhere and we got stuck in the place of our grief. We got stuck in the place of our pain. We got stuck in the place of our disappointment and fear. Tara was set out for Canaan, but he stayed and lived the rest of his life in Haran. Is it possible? Here, these are questions. I don't have answers. Here are my questions. Is it possible that Tara heard the, the call of God to him to go to the promised land? Is it possible that he started out in that direction but got stuck on the way forward? Stuck in the pain of losing his son? Stuck in disappointment? Stuck in fear? Maybe he just got too comfortable. Maybe it was comfortable there. Maybe it was easy there. We get stuck in comfort sometime and call it rest. Maybe he just got too familiar in the place he wasn't meant to stay. Now, here's a funny thing for you. The name Tara means station or delay. Yikes which we could talk about, what are you speaking over yourself? What have other people called you? What agreements do you need to break, right? Here's another verse for some context. Joshua is leading the nation of Israel. Later, later, later. And he gives a little history lesson along the way to remind them of God's faithfulness. And he says this, Joshua 24, 2 and 3. Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, Lived beyond the Euphrates River. It doesn't mention Haran in this verse. It doesn't mention the youngest son that died. They worshipped other, not because God's mean. (laughs) They worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. So I wonder, I just wonder, Abraham, did he pick up where his father left off? Did he pick up where his father should have moved forward but got stuck? I don't know, but I have a lot of questions one day. But what I do know is I see people do this in life. We get stuck. We get stuck, okay? What are the places we get stuck in? We hear from God. We go through hard things. We're trying. Um, so what, what make, causes us to settle in a land we were meant to pass through and not get stuck in, okay? And here's the thing. When you do that, you leave it up to the next generation to complete, But I want you to know this, and we don't have time for today, but a little blurb, you think about this. If your family dropped the ball, if they did not pursue God, if they didn't make it to the promise they were supposed to, God's inheritance over you is as if they had. He will make up for the the, the, um, relational, financial, emotional, physical, all all of the pieces, spiritual, 
connections and pieces needed for you to carry out that promise as if all of your family had. I mean, what comes to mind even as I say that is we have a great cloud of, cloud of witnesses cheering you on, giving you their support. Even if your, your earthly, uh, natural family missed it, you have a spiritual family and you have a spiritual inheritance. Okay, why do we get stuck on the way forward? We don't have time for this. This will be another day if we get there uh, to break each one of these down. But I just jotted down a couple ideas that will we'll tick off, okay? I think grief, avoiding pain, disappointment or loss, distractions, fear, regret, and comfort are the reasons, some of the reasons we get stuck in life. Okay, more importantly, how do we not get stuck on the way forward? Okay, remember what I said at the beginning. Our focus is to run to God, not to run from the things that have held us back. Don't get anchored in those things. We see Tara, he started out in the right direction, but he didn't deal with the internal. He still got stuck. And instead of running into God's goodness, the posture of our pursuit can become running from our past. There is a difference. It is a different attitude when you are running from your past, running from a pain, rather than running to God, into vision, into purpose, into identity. Okay, when we anchor our hopes in outcomes, we will become stuck. When we anchor our hope in Jesus, we will never be stuck or stationary. Now, this is a weird picture because you think of anchoring a boat, the goal is to keep it in place. But when we anchor our hope in Jesus, it's going to be a wild ride. He's not stationary. He is not stuck. He's never changing, but he's doing a new thing. In order not to settle into a place that you need to go through, we've got to just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Look up. Look ahead. Trust that he has the map. He's take, he knows where he's taking you. There's a lunch break. There's a potty break. Okay, there's a park ahead. He'll get you there. And he has made a way through everything you will encounter. Okay, so let's real quickly jump back to Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm going to dive into this one verse a little bit. Turn back there if you're not, I don't know, I didn't tell you to stick a finger in there or anything, but see if you can find it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Okay, let's break this. I want to break out some of these words because I think it's important to... Get your thinking. Get you thinking. Get us thinking. Me too. Plans and thoughts. This word for plans and thoughts. I know the plans I have for you. Your version might say, I know the thoughts I have for you. This is not a set path or plan that you can mess up or miss. This idea speaks of how God dreamed of and created you with specific intention, planning, work, ingenuity, and design. I know how I designed you. I know what I imagined over you. I know the intention I have around your, what you will bring and how you will show my heart to this world. And I don't know about you, but that sets me free that I can't miss a step-by-step plan because God created me to show him to the world. And I can choose A, B, or C to do that, and he loves when we choose. This word is used in verses to describe the work of the craftsmen designing the meeting tent in Exodus. Okay, they call it a curious work or a cunning work. You are a curious work. (laughs) You were intentional. You were planned. God's intention and genius design of you was intentional and calculated. And it came with the skill and tools you need 
to achieve the purpose. And it is valuable. Okay, God's ima- here's, it, here's it too. God's imagination is boundless and unlimited. His thoughts towards you, boundless, unlimited. Not just his love and his affection, but how he designed you. It was unlimited. It was ingenious. It was unlimited. How many of us have read these verses or similar ones and felt like God's plan or purpose is limited to one idea, one route, one specific step to get to an outcome? And if you mess it up, everything's, everything's messed up. God can't do what he needs to do and, and that you'll miss God. No, these verses show us God is limitless. He designed you perfectly. And the only thing that will stop you from pulling in all that he desires for you is you getting stuck. Don't get stuck. When we forget about God's goodness, we stay stuck. Okay, all of his thoughts toward you, I'm wrapping up, I promise, are for a future and a hope. Okay, this speaks of peace, completeness. His his thoughts for you, his design for you is for peace, completeness, stability, strength, reliability, health, happiness, and well-being. It is to give you an expected end There's expectancy and expectation wrapped in this verse. There's excitement and goodness wrapped in this verse. And one of the the definitions is accord. And if you will, um, in my head I thought of a lifeline. There's a lifeline of hope that you can hold on to and get to that future. You just keep trusting in God, that anchor. Keep pulling on that. And these definitions remind me of the Greek word used to describe the salvation we have in Christ, which is sozo. It's healing, it's life, and it's prosperity for your emotions, your spirit, your soul, all, all encompassing. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It is God wants you whole, spirit, soul, and body. Okay, I, I want to real quickly, can I show you my version, my interpretation of 2911, Annie translation? I know the beautiful invention that you are and what I imagined and uniquely designed for you. You were intended and designed for peace and wholeness, not distress, adversity, and infliction. You were created to be mine and fulfill this assignment that is your lifeline of hope and expectation to your promised end. God wasn't pointing people back to what was when they were in captivity and Jeremiah came and spoke to them. He wasn't saying, Remember how good it was? We'll get back there one day. He wasn't pointing back to what was. He was focusing their attention ahead to what will be. And it's bigger than you'll get to go home one day. It's, it's, I have a future better for you than you could have imagined. I have a future for you. I don't know how to say it. I'm going to say this to you. God's promise to you is not broken when your life shatters. We have his promise. Ooh, that was good. <laughs> I write these things down. I don't say them out loud. I'm like, whoo. We have his promise that we will find him when we look. And when we find him, he will be working out plans and designs and ways forward for our good. He will be busy creating and imagining and encouraging you for the future you were designed for. Let's pull, let's let him pull back the curtain just a little bit. If you're out of hope today, look behind the curtain. He's working. These verses are a reminder from God. These verses in Jeremiah, a reminder from God, a note, letting us know he's got the map. He knows the way and the next step. He knows your capacity and ability and design better than you do. You'll make it there.
We don't need to wonder how long we've been on the road. This is irrational. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know why now. We need to stay close to him and take the next step. And I can't see my notes anymore, so. Hold on to those verses. Jesus is saying the same thing to you today. I know you're not where you wanted to be, that you took a wrong road or got stuck in a place on your way to finding me and my best for you. But I'm still there. I'm still calling you. I'm still reaching for you. I'm still preparing a way for you. He is in the next step. He's in the next day. And he, his plans for you are good. All right, why don't you stand up? I have a, one more verse from Psalms 84 for you that I've been, cannot get away from this week. I'll read it to you as you stand up. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. <laughs> My words are all weird today. Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. The valley of weeping, a valley of tears. God says, nope, that is going to become, you'll look back, that'll be a place of refreshing springs. It'll become a place of blessings and strength for you. All right, I want to pray for us today. I had a couple really specific things pop, in, pop up in the last couple of um, days. Um, just to, I want to pray for those who feel stuck, but I specifically want to pray for fathers and mothers who got stuck along the way to their own healing and to the next step. Um, and I want to pray for a generation that feels stuck in their family's choices or who feels stuck in this crazy world we're in. Anybody feel a little like? And I want to pray for you if you feel stuck in agreements with fear and anxiety I want to pray that those agreements be broken and that the Prince of Peace be invited in. Okay, Does that, if that hits you or anybody, I want you, if, if you know fathers and mothers who have gotten stuck in their way forward, I want you just to whisper their name in your heart as we pray right now. And if it's you, I want you just to receive that God is good and he is, um, you're not as stuck as you think you are. You're not as stuck as you think you are. Jesus, I just thank you today. Ah, oh, you're so good. I thank you, God, that when we look back on the valley of tears and the, the weeping and the hard places in life, that even there, when we look for you, we'll find you there. You were there. You never left us. You never forsake, forsake us. I thank you, God. We lift up the fathers today, that the hearts of the fathers would return to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. I thank you, God. I, I just lift up today the the fathers in our nation who have gotten stuck in lies about identity, in fears, in their own struggles, in their own identity issues, God. I just lift them up today and we break off the lies and we say, you are not stuck anymore. Rise up in strength and wisdom. Rise up in, in your calling and in your purpose as a father, as a leader, as strength to a generation. We call you forth, fathers, Mothers, we call you forth where you have been wounded and feel like you can no longer nurture or love or protect the way God designed you to. We break those agreements and we say you were not stuck in that place of what was done to you or said about you or the lies you're believing. We, we, we call you forth, again, as nurturers, as lovers, as protectors, as uh, encouragers of children and 
just thank you for that, God. And I pray right now, anybody in this room, anybody who's online, who has made an agreement with fear and anxiety, you said, you know what, if I am always on my guard, if I am always on high alert, I will be safe. It is not true. And today, in Jesus' name, we command the agreements with fear and anxiety to be broken in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Jesus, I thank you. You are the Prince of Peace. Oh, I just see a healing balm of peace coming over those hearts right now. A healing balm of peace, real protection, real safety. God, in your presence, I just thank you for that right now. No more high alert, no more anxiety for these hearts today, Jesus. I thank you. Your healing balm is just, I just see like melting honey over your hearts, bringing such calm and soothing and safety, and you feel safe and protected in his love today. Thank you. Thank you, Prince of Peace. We invite you in. We invite you in, Jesus. Thank you, God. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, Let's say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord of the Gunnison Basin in the world. And you may be dismissed. My five-year-old's been telling me she's been hungry since about 9.30. So if she hasn't eaten all the food yet, uh, there will be some for you. It's growth spurt season. Growth spurt season. All right, on the count of three, Jesus is Lord of the Gunnison Basin in the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord of the Gunnison Basin and the world. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.